Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Unsafe Space. This is Friday, April 17th. I am your host, Carter Laren. I did not intend to do another show today. Carrie and I had a great coffee break this morning live, so I know a lot of you saw that, but I couldn't help myself. I need to do another show today about another topic. Thank you to Maria Tuscan. Shout out to Maria for sharing this with me. Uh, please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and you can support us on Subscribestar. So I wanted to talk about the Stanford study that came out. There was a Stanford study uh, that was was just released this week. And one of the main reasons I wanted to talk about it, it's an interesting study in and of itself, and, and it's good to have data about COVID-19. But one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it is this Blaze TV dude, uh, Steve, I think his name is uh, Dace, D-E-A-C-E. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it. I don't, I don't watch... Uh, watch this guy, but he made a video about this study, and like any ideologue, he's he's just like, see, I'm right, and he's calculating things incorrectly, applying things he shouldn't, and sensationalizing a study that should not be sensationalized. Those of you who watch Unsafe Space know how I feel, or more correctly, what I think about the shelter-in-place orders and the moral legitimacy of those orders. However, we also like to be nuanced in our approach to things, and often the answer to complex questions is, I don't know, or it's complex. And with respect to the coronavirus, that is the correct answer basically for everyone right now, even experts. We don't know a lot about the coronavirus. We know some things, and we can start to uh, understand some things about it and maybe see that some things are blown out of proportion, some things weren't, or whatever. However, we don't know for certain a lot of things. We're still in the middle of it, and there's a lot of work to be done. So the main purpose of, the purpose of this <clears throat> short episode is to just talk about the Stanford study in a more rational, nuanced manner so you see what it actually says and what it doesn't say and what conclusions you can't draw from it. So let's uh, let's just take a look. So the title of this study is COVID-19 Antibody Seroprevalence in Santa Clara County, California. Now this study is out of uh, Stanford. Most of the most of the researchers listed or most of the authors of this study are are from Stanford. It is not peer-reviewed. That's not to throw any of these researchers under the bus. They haven't had time to have it peer-reviewed. The peer review process takes some time. They're trying to get this data out. We're in the middle of a pandemic. They're not, I don't believe they're trying to avoid peer review. I think it's been submitted, but it's not yet peer-reviewed, so keep that in mind. But, you know, if you watch this Blaze TV vid video, this dude is all like, Stanford's the best university ever, and so we need to trust these people, and they're, they're so smart. They're smarter than Ivy League school people, and they're experts. That's not how science works. That's called uh, appeal to authority. It doesn't matter how smart these people are or what the name on the university that they work in uh, is. What matters is their methods, the data, <laughs> the accuracy, and and process. So we're going to look at what they say and what they don't say, and we're going to go through this study. First of all, a lot of people probably don't know what seroprevalence is, which is fine. Um, seroprevalence is basically the percentage of a population whose blood serum tests positive for a given antibody. So 
you know, when your body tries to fight off infection, it uh, antibodies antibodies are the agents in your body that do that. And so what they're trying to do here is determine how many people in a random sampling in Santa Clara County, which is where the study is based, how many people in that county test positive for the antibodies for COVID-19. Now, just because you test positive for the antibodies, that's not a one-to-one correlation to having had it or having or not having had it. I mean, you can, I think you can recover and then not have antibodies. Uh, I, I imagine there's some people that may have antibodies for other things that look like this. The tests aren't perfect. However, it's a good proxy here, obviously. That's why they're using it. So they're trying to determine the actual infection rate in a population. They want to know what's the actual rate of infected people in Santa Clara County, because that will give them better information about the status of this disease. Now, right now, the way that we are calculating rates is case, we're working at cases, and the way, the way that we're counting infection rates is basically we're testing people with symptoms or people who have been exposed to people with symptoms. And so that is not a an accurate way because it doesn't it doesn't it's not a random sample of the population it's it's sampling a subset of the population that already has symptoms and that kind of thing so you're potentially missing a bunch of people who have it are asymptomatic get over it and uh and move on with their lives and so it's a legitimate question to ask what is the actual infection rate and there's two reasons why this matters uh at least two reasons why this matters one of them is we've heard this flatten the curve stuff. The, the idea of flatten the curve comes from a 2007 CDC paper. It was updated later in 2017. The name of that paper is called Interim Pre-Pandemic Planning Guidance, Community Strategy for Pandemic Influenza Mitigation in the United States, Early Targeted Layered Use of Non-Pharmaceutical Interventions. So, great headline. That paper introduced this concept of flattening the curve. And you've all seen something like this before. The colors have been updated and there have been stuff added in in the 2017 update, but this is the original picture here out of the paper. And, you know, normally without any intervention, you would have a peak in the pandemic outbreak and then it would fall off. With intervention, you can flatten this curve as everyone has seen and avoid the peak. The idea behind avoiding the peak, later versions of this if, of this graph show a little dotted line here that indicates that the peak without intervention is above the dotted line, the peak with intervention is below the dotted line, and the dotted line represents the capacity of the medical system. So the idea is to flatten the curve in order to reduce the likelihood of overwhelming the medical system. So the purpose here is to limit the spread. And if you look at even the paper, they they talk about that very clearly. This is the purpose. The purpose is to limit the spread of a virus. Now, the other thing that's important to recognize here is that this flatten the curve idea, this idea of limiting the spread in, uh, by trying to flatten this curve, this idea is being used to justify the shelter-in-place orders, which are having a 
whether or not you agree with them, you can't argue that they are not having a devastating effect on the U.S. economy. I think we're at almost 17 million jobless claims now. I happen to be a little bit more of a doomsdayer on this. I think it's a depression, and we're not going to recover for a very long time. I know I have a friend of mine who thinks that we'll snap right back, and it will be great, and there's probably a lot of you in between those two positions. Regardless, it is having an impact, and it's having a significant impact. So if we're flattening the curve based on this idea that we're trying to limit the spread, well, we have to recognize something. This assumes something very important. Again, this is highlighted from the paper, from this 2007 CDC paper. It assumes that we're flattening the curve in time, i.e. before the virus has already spread widely amongst the population. I'll read from the paper. Implementing these interventions after extensive spread of a pandemic influenza strain may limit the public health benefits. In other words, it's not worth trying to flatten the curve if the strain is already out. If it's already spread in the population, flattening the curve has a cost, but not much of an upside. So it's important to know whether this is already in the population. The other reason that we care about this is case fatality rates are the numbers that are bandied about that scare people about the deadliness of this disease. And we've seen for COVID-19, early on we saw case fatality rates, uh, estimates that could be even even higher than 3.5%. You know, people were comparing it to SARS, which was 9%. But at this point, I think we've seen a lot between like 0.5 and 3.5 and usually kind of somewhere in the middle there. Now, that's case fatality rate. So those are the, the, the rates of people who die who are cases, who are who, who diagnosed with this. That's different than infection fatality rates. Infection fatality rates are rates of people who are infected who die. Now, those matter because what you really care about at the end of the day is infection rate fatality rates. Like, for example, if we all got infected with something but only 1% of us showed symptoms, so they only tested 1% of us, and 1% of, 1% of those people died, well, we might think we have a 1% chance of dying when in fact, we have a 1% of 1% chance of dying, right? So, which is 0.01% chance of dying. So, it's important to know the infection fatality rate, and that's one of the reasons to do a study like this. So, what did the Stanford study find? Let's jump right into it. They tested 3,330 people in Santa Clara County, California. This was uh, an attempt to be a random sampling. The numerologists in the audience will love the number of people they tested there. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, without adjusting for demographics, they found that 1.5% of the people that they tested had COVID-19 antibodies in their blood. Now, the sample that they took was not representative of the demographics in Santa Clara County. So, you know, they mean age, uh, sex, uh, ethnicity. So they adjusted for all of those based on the Santa Clara County demographics, and they came up with a weighted uh, estimate of 2.81%. 
and actually really an estimated range. If you look at the paper, the range is between 2.8% and 4.16% of the population of Santa Clara County, they estimate, uh, have COVID-19 antibodies in their blood. A couple things to note here. The most important is these numbers aren't super accurate. Again, this is not me dissing the authors. The authors are really good about very clearly outlining what the constraints are, the limitations of their study are, and they made it very clear the confidence to, to remain within a 95 confidence interval here. You're actually looking between 1.8 and 5.7%. So there's quite a wide range here of what that number could be. So that's, that's the estimated infection rate in Santa Clara County. So what does that mean? How does it compare to what we've been looking at? Well, they used this information and they said, well, if, if our infection rates are correct based on our study, we think there's roughly between 48,000 and 81,000 estimated cases. Now this was, I think they concluded their study somewhere around April 3rd, April 4th. I looked at the data from April 3rd, April 4th. Uh, there was, you know, in that time frame there, it was, um, maybe it was like April 1st to April 3rd, I forget exactly, but somewhere between 956 and then 1,019 1, confirmed cases in Santa Clara County, roughly the same time as the study. The study took a couple days. So uh, that's, you know, they're estimating that there were a lot more than what are officially confirmed, right? Between, you know, r roughly around 1,000 and somewhere between 48 and 81,000. So that's a big difference. That is roughly 50 to 85 times the number of people that, that than the official count. The official count is is roughly 150th of that to 185th of that. So they're saying there's a lot more people in Santa Clara County who've been infected with this than the official confirmed cases would suggest. Okay, well, what were their conclusions about this? They say this pretty clearly. I'm gonna read this here. The population prevalence of SARS-CoV-2 antibodies in Santa Clara County implies that the infection is much more widespread than indicated by the number of confirmed cases. Population prevalence estimates can now be used to calibrate epidemic and mortality projections. Okay, so that's, that's what everyone wanted to do here. They wanna use these numbers. Well, how do you use these numbers for? CFR. Well, in the paper, they then used these numbers and they said, well, if we were going to estimate the IFR, the infection fatality rate, we would estimate it to be 0.12% to 0.2%. So in Santa Clara County, using those numbers, that's what they get. Now, here's the part where I want to pause a little bit and talk about this Blaze TV dude. He went on to do a, a few stupid things. First of all, he he tried to calculate the number, the CFR for Santa Clara County, and he did so incorrectly. He divided the current number of deaths divided, uh, by the current number of cases. That is not how you calculate CFR, even when you're estimating it. First of all, during a pandemic, it's actually difficult to calculate. When you're estimating CFR during a pandemic, you have to account for the incubation period, so you have to divide it by... 
cases, uh, roughly the average incubation average incubation period days ago, right? So maybe ten days ago, seven days ago, whatever it is. So he said, "Ah, well, it was three point eight. Now it's it's point one two, and I think he actually said point one. So he rounded down. He took the lower bound, rounded down, and said, "Ah, look look at the big difference." Well, moron, you calculated the CFR incorrectly in the first place. So is it a big difference? Yes, it is a difference. Is, was it 3.8? No, it wasn't 3.8. So it's also important to remember that the uh, IFR is different than CFR. So I looked at the flu. So everyone compares this to the flu. Lots of people like to compare this to the flu. And they say, well, the flu, it's 0.1%. Now, as far as I can tell, I'm, I'm not a flu expert. I'm not an epidemiologist. I, I did look into this as much as a layman could in, in a couple hours, I guess. But I, I looked around the CDC website. They do have like a surveillance system for, for measuring flu every year. It does not look like they do any sort of seroprevalence for measuring flu. So when people say a 0.1% flu death rate... I believe they mean case fatality rate, not infectious fatality or infection fatality rate. So you got to compare apples to apples. The case fatality rate needs to be compared to a case fatality rate. You can't compare the infection fatality rate estimated uh, through a seroprevalence study to a case fatality rate not estimated through a seroprevalence study. Those, those are not a valid comparison. So, uh, and yet I believe that's what's being done. So don't do that. Still, this is encouraging. Uh, an infection fatality rate of 0.12% to 0.2%, that is, that is great. Uh, it's, a much, it's a much better scenario than, than we might have been hoping, and it does suggest that, hey, this, this virus is kind of out in the public a little bit. However, let's look at what this actually means. This means that COVID-19 infections may be more widespread than we thought. Okay. However, these numbers are nowhere near herd immunity numbers. They're not, it's not like it's in 80% of the population already. We're talking on the high end, what, roughly 5% on the high end? This is not, <laughs> this is not like, I told you, it's already in the community at large in massive quantities. No. No, it's not. It is in the community more than we thought. It means that the infection fatality rate is, is possibly lower than, than we thought based on the case fatality rate. It might be good news, but it doesn't mean that there's herd immunity, and it doesn't prove anything about your theories that this is just the flu or that uh, you know, we didn't need to flatten the curve or any of that. It doesn't prove you're right about anything. That's what it means. Unfortunately, there's no smoking gun here. There's no sensationalism. I'd also like to point out that the study recognizes, and, and look, this is these people seem to be pretty, pretty honest about what they're saying. The study relies on accuracy of tests, which, by the way, aren't. It's not totally clear, right? These are new tests. They're assuming that uh, the tests are accurate. Uh, there's a lot of factors that, that these numbers rely upon. 
I'm going to read this quote from the study. For example, if new estimates indicate test specificity to be less than 97.9%, our SARS-CoV-2 prevalence estimate would change from 2.8 to less than 1%, and the lower uncertainty bound of our estimate would include zero. So, you know, not a lot of confidence here. Some, some, I mean, again, that 95% that confidence interval that I gave before is, was correct, but, you know, this is not a smoking gun. This is not, we know for certain, blah, blah, blah. These are scientists being very careful with their words, telling you what their numbers rely upon and what they mean and what they don't mean. They do not mean, Mr. Blaze dude, that you can then do the next thing that he did, which was to take the Santa Clara County rates and apply them to Iowa, where he lives. That is dumb. You cannot do that. Santa Clara County is not Iowa. Santa Clara County has a large population of travelers from China. Plane loads from Hubei. Uh, and a much more metropolitan population than many parts of Iowa. The infection started in Santa Clara County before it started in Iowa, very likely. So you can't take any of these numbers and then draw any conclusions about your own region unless you're a pompous windbag trying to prove that you've always been right and that it's just the flu. My final thought here, having said all of that is, and I've said this before on the show and people know this, I don't care what any of these say. Liberty is more important than security. It doesn't matter if this is a zombie apocalypse. The government has no right to force you inside your house. They have no right to tell you you can't go buy seeds at the store. They have no right to shut down businesses. And that is both unconstitutional and immoral. And the quarantine Karens can argue with me all they want. Authoritarianism is not suddenly permissible because there's a slightly more contagious and, and death, deadly virus floating around. That's not how morality works. So you don't, need, you don't need to claim that it's the flu or make wild claims about the percentage of people who are already infected or apply it to your home state of Iowa to make the case that the government shouldn't be issuing shelter-in-place orders. They shouldn't be issuing shelter-in-place orders anyway. Make the argument from a moral perspective. Don't use your crappy interpretation of science, someone else's studies that you don't even understand, to calculate bogus CFR rates and apply those to your hometown. I know that was a little harsh, uh, and I know a lot of our audience is conservative. I'm not trying to pick on conservatives or Blaze TV in, in particular. It bothers me when there's just ideologues using data on either side to make wild claims about things. You can make arguments for not doing shelter in place. And you can make those arguments from a moral perspective. Make them, I'll support you. Don't go spreading a bunch of pseudoscience around. Have a good weekend, everyone. We'll see you next time.